Today, I sat down for a rousing discussion with Joe Carlos Shari. He is a partner at Amundsen Davis Law, and in my purview, and in many others, the leading authority on Bitcoin and crypto law. So stay tuned for this episode. We talked a lot about the SEC versus Ripple case and boiled it down super simply, all the takeaways that you need to know about what's included in this case and what is likely to come next. Enjoy. You guys, I love buying Bitcoin and River.com is my favorite place to buy it. Not only do they have no fees when you dollar cost average into Bitcoin, but they also have their own proprietary multi-sig setup where all of your funds are held in cold storage. Unlike all of the crypto exchanges that have collapsed over the last year, River has their own proprietary system where the Bitcoin that you buy is held with them. You guys, it's a no-brainer. Get started today at River.com or visit the link in our description to get a special discount when you set up your first purchase. We're also major advocates of self-custody. As you guys know, a long-term partner of ours has been Foundation Devices. Foundation, of course, makes the wonderful mobile app Envoy, which is a free Bitcoin mobile wallet you can download to take your Bitcoin off exchanges after you buy it and absolve yourself of any counterparty risk that may occur. But they also make the Passport. You guys have seen me use this many times. I've shown it to you on the show many times before. It's the most sleek, gorgeous looking Bitcoin hardware wallet out there. It looks like a phone. You'll know how to use it the moment you take it out of the box. If you've been on the fence about using the Passport, about using Bitcoin cold storage before, Passport is the solution for you. You can get one today by going to foundationdevices.com or click the link in our description for a special discount. And now let's talk to Joe. Hey, Joe. Always a pleasure to talk. And this one's going to be a good one. Uh, We're going to dive deep into this decision we got yesterday, which is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited for it. Of course, uh, a decision came down yesterday in the SEC versus Ripple case. And I suppose I'll just leave the floor to you, Joe. What happened? Yes. So I guess what we we got what many have characterized as a split decision. And I'll start from the, the premise that I think this is a decision that both the SEC and Ripple uh, did not expect. Um, so let's break down the rulings. So the first ruling is that effectively... XRP, the initial sales of it by Ripple Labs, the institutional sales to high net worth individuals, to funds, uh, to different uh, entities that had contracts with Ripple, that that was an unregistered security offering, that basically that violated uh, U.S. securities laws to the tune of 780, excuse me, $728 million, and that that initial sale was in fact, um, you know, something that could be properly understood as an investment contract, as an unregistered offering. The court then addressed the sales of a programmatic nature. And let me explain what that means. The court is saying that we're going to look at all the transactions. We know that these initial sales were, in fact, unregistered offerings. But what about the sales that occurred after the initial sort of ICO period for XRP? They, they call them programmatic sales. They were sent mostly by bots on a regular basis to exchanges, centralized exchanges, and they amounted for 1% of the daily volume of XRP transactions. So what Ripple Labs did is they had this big honeypot of XRP tokens, and they sent them to exchanges in a regular routine basis where they didn't really even direct uh, the, the uh, when they were sent or when they were sold. It was mostly done with bots. Literally, they would just deposit to exchanges and sell at regular intervals. And the court ultimately came down and said that this particular uh, test uh, that we're going to apply, which is Howie, 
uh, that we're going to look at all the different aspects of it. And most notably, we're going to look at whether there was a reasonable expectation of the purchasers of this token that they would be uh, accruing some sort of benefit based on the a managerial and entrepreneurial efforts of others. So it's really the second prong of Howie. They're applying and saying, well, are these folks that are going on to exchanges where they don't know they're necessarily buying tokens from Ripple Labs because it's a blind bid-ask order book and Ripple Labs is just selling them in a routine way, is that an investment contract? And as far as I can tell, the court expanded for the first time this notion in the realm of, uh, of cryptocurrency uh, that no, that's not. Those programmatic uh, sales on the secondary market, at least as applied in this particular case, they are not securities. Um, so it's an interesting sort of uh, wrinkle in this. However, it's kind of a confusing conclusion because the judge notes in a footnote specifically that she's not making any ruling on the secondary market. However, these programmatic sales were in the secondary market. So it stands to reason if they're not investment contracts, uh, then certainly uh, why wouldn't all secondary market sales be not investment contracts. So that's the second part of the holding. The third part of the holding involves uh, these other distributions, which are most notably folks that were working with Ripple Labs uh, for you know employees and third-party vendors to develop XRP. And the court said that that particular transaction that we're going to look at, that is something that does not qualify as an investment contract because of the third prong of Howie, the investment of money. That's a very strange ruling. We can get into a little bit more, but that's that's sort of a, a, a narrow ruling that these folks, um, that because they weren't investing money, they were just giving their time, I guess, and effort to promote the token, that that doesn't qualify under the third prong of Howie. And then finally, with respect to Garlinghouse and Larson's, the, the principles of the company, the court said you need, we need to stand trial to sort of assess uh, their particular knowledge, whether they were knowingly violating securities laws. And that's a factual question that needs to be resolved at, at a trial. So they're going to set, set a trial on that at some point in the future. Uh, so they're not off the hook for these particular, uh, their involvement in these particular sales, but it's just something that can't be resolved by a judge as a matter of law. A couple other notable parts of the opinion. There is uh, what I view as dicta, uh, some language that says that we are not deciding whether uh, we're, we're finding that XRP in and of itself the token in and of itself is not a security. So let me explain that. So what the court is saying that Howie is a transactional test that we're going to test transact. We're going to, we're going to assess and apply the, the, the Howie factors to a, a, a transaction itself. We're going to look at a transaction and see if that transaction itself uh, qualifies uh, as an investment contract. However, the court is saying, like, we're not looking at things in the abstract. We're not looking at whether uh, code itself uh, is, in fact, can be a security in and of itself, which is something that myself and others have talked about for, for years. And I'll credit uh, Lewis Cohen because he's, he's sort of pioneered this argument legally that the thing itself doesn't necessarily have to be a security for something to be a, an investment contract. And think, you know, or for example, when the court talks about this, there are many commodities where if they're packaged the right way, they can be in fact a security. You know, if it, Bitcoin is not, in my view, an investment contract is not a security in and of itself. However, if I lend my Bitcoin to BlockFi and they promised me yield, and I'm expecting that yield reasonably based on the work of BlockFi to found, find counterparties and pay me out some sort of uh, yield, that 
transaction could be an investment contract or it likely is based on uh, some of the positions that have take, been taken. So that's the, that's the real interesting part of this, that the court comes down and definitively says that XRP in and of itself is not a security. So that was championed and sort of cheered on. Um, and a couple other aspects, they talk about the fair notice defense, which was a constitutional defense that was raised by Ripple. Uh, the argument is that the uh, environment was sufficient too, uh, too vague and unclear because of the SEC's inconsistent statements uh, to really come down on in, in any clear way about what it means uh, to be a token and a security and the different aspects of this market. Therefore, because it was too unclear, we can't, uh, uh, excuse me, the SEC can't enforce that effectively would violate the due process rights of Ripple and the individual defendants. Uh, that, that defense with respect to the institutional sales was rejected. The court noted, though, that it made no ruling with respect to the secondary market sales, whether that defense could potentially be viable. So to be continued on that. But that's the general overview. Um, I think that the fair reading of this is that this is a, a disappointing opinion somewhat for the SEC. Obviously, they, they got that first initial one, the initial sales, that that was deemed to be an unregistered security. But I think the SEC can't be quite, quite happy with the implicit analysis in the opinion that uh, apparently the secondary market sales are, are free and clear because of this. There's no expectation between those participants and Ripple Labs. Uh, we can get into it a little bit more, but that's that's the general overview. Right on. Perfect. Thank you for the breakdown, Joe. So the judge didn't make a decision on secondary market sales. That's sort of still in the ether. Um, but the uh, the decision that came down was that institutional sales were an unregistered securities offering. Uh, so yes. all of the celebrating that's going on from uh, the Coinbase Twitter account, like two and a half million impressions on a tweet that said, this is a W for Ripple, a W for the industry. Um, you know, they held, there's several, basically just um, congratulatory everything going on all over Twitter, people patting each other's backs, Cameron, Cameron Winklevoss, both of the Winklevoss twins dunking on the SEC. Um Given that no official ruling has been made on the secondary market sales of XRP, um, is this you know is this sort of a little bit too early to be celebrating or not? I think it's definitely too early to be celebrating. I was in another spaces this morning, and I think the I'll steal the analogy from another esteemed member of the the crypto bar. He said, you know, if this is a baseball game, we're in the third inning, and and perhaps you could make the argument that Ripple Labs is uh, leading, you know, two or three to zero. Um, I think that's fair. Uh, keep in mind, this is a single ruling from a single district court judge. And as these issues develop in, in an um, area of law where there's not a ton of precedent in the realm of crypto, uh, you have to sort of temper your expectations. You have to realize this this opinion, in my opinion, my view, will likely be appealed. Um, there'll be another judge that's going to look at this or another series of judges. There'll be other cases, other fact patterns where other district courts could perhaps take a different view. You could end up with a situation where you have a circuit split, which is very common in the law that, you know, you have some circuits over here deciding uh, an issue in one way and some circuits deciding in another way, and they need a higher court to resolve the dispute. And this is this is common, right? Um, I know that uh, a very esteemed member of uh, of the crypto bar that I was talking with this morning, he said that he estimated as high as a 60, 70 percent chance that uh, the, the, the ruling regarding 
the programmatic sales, the sales in the secondary market, that that gets overturned. Um, that it's, you know, uh, that it just, you know, could be temporary, could be transitory to borrow our favorite phase from the Fed, from the Fed um, moving forward. So you have to temper your expectations with a single district court ruling on a novel area of law that hasn't been reached enough. Um, but I will say it is, it is something that there is uh, reason for optimism. It's not completely unfounded for the XRP community and for many in crypto to say, here you go. We've got an opinion right here that seems to suggest without ruling explicitly that secondary market sales are not in the, in the ballgame. That's not that's something the SEC can, uh, can, can deal with. I will tell you that my particular view is that I think the judge just got it wrong. Um, I think the judge and analyzes the fact that people, I mean, the, the judge focused on the expectations of the market participants. And they, they said essentially that when you're going to buy this token on an exchange, the expectations are not one that you're buying uh, XRP uh, because you think that Ripple Labs is going to develop the protocol. You're buying it because of the fact that you want to embrace broader trends in the cryptocurrency market. That's what the judge says. I think that's a little confusing, particularly from many tokens where uh, even on Coinbase's website and many other exchanges, they promote the teams behind it, the teams that are developing. It's usually a selling point uh, and it's usually referred to as a yeah. project with a community. So I think that the argument that people are just trying to gain exposure might be a little bit misleading. I, I think that's right. I mean, so so the the key language, I'll just cite one part, uh, part here, is that um, some programmatic buyers may have purchased XRP with the expectation of profits to be derived from Ripple's efforts. However, the inquiry is an objective one focusing on the promises and offers made to investors. It is not searched for the precise motivation of each market participant. Here, the record establishes that with respect to programmatic sales, Ripple did not make any promises or offers because Ripple did not know who was buying the XRP and the purchasers did not know who was selling it. In fact, many programmatic buyers were entirely unaware of uh, Ripple's existence and uh, the, the court's opinion is citing affidavits apparently from people that were executed uh, and, and put into the record stating, we didn't know Ripple existed, we just thought XRP was a great token. Like 50,000 people signed that uh, affidavit. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's kind of a confusing ruling from, from the standpoint of that's not my experience anecdotally with, uh, the XRP army. Um, most folks are constantly parroting how Ripple's involved and they're aware of the fact that Ripple's developing the token, that it's going to be used for cross-border payments and that they're making, uh, deals with various entities to use XRP and use other systems. So, so that's, you know, that's a factor, that's a fact that I think the court might just have gotten wrong when it's applying its analysis. And certainly um, just because in this particular situation, people are unaware of Ripple's existence does not mean that all tokens everywhere that are purchased on exchanges, that in those specific transactions, secondary market buyers aren't aware of the team behind it and expecting to sort of reap some sort of profit or gain from that team's existence and development of the protocol. Uh, so that remains to be seen. I mean, that's, that's the most interesting part of this opinion that the blind bid ask nature of the order books and that you don't know you're necessarily buying from uh, the, the issuer, that that is somehow the, the dominant factor in the Howey analysis. I will note though further, there is a whole line of cases where uh, particularly in the context of uh, sort of pyramid schemes in the 1970s and 80s, where the court looked at, well, 
you know, you're not buying necessarily from the original issue or the original developer, you're buying some sort of right or some sort of contract on a secondary market. And that secondary sale can be imputed back to the original creator of the pyramid scheme. Um, so again, We'll see if the court, if the SEC is citing some of that case law on appeal. We'll see if there is a basis for potentially overturning this this opinion on that. But I do think, like I said, it's fair to it's fair for the crypto uh, folks to be championing this decision because if it is the case that secondary market sales are totally out of the ball game, the X, S, uh, the SEC has very limited enforcement ability on secondary market sales. That is massive for the crypto industry. If that is the case, now that's a, again TBD. We'll see. TBD, we'll see. And I think in a case that has already been as long and drawn out as SEC versus Ripple Labs, chances there are, you know, uh, mu much, much longer to go before we even reach the, the fourth or, or fifth inning with this case. Uh, I want to ask you. Right. And you'll recall, Joe, we were on a, sorry to interrupt you, but we, you'll recall we were on a, a prior podcast on the Bitcoin layer. And I, I told you, no matter what this decision is, it will certainly be appealed. There's, there was a guarantee if, SEC would have won on all accounts, there would have been appeal. If Ripple would have won on all the counts, there would have been appeal. Like this is part of the game, right? You have to realize there's a reason for the appellate court process, particularly in novel new issues. Absolutely. Very well said. Uh, the fair notice defense that you mentioned earlier, explain to the viewers and frankly myself what a fair notice defense is and, and why the court rejected that. Yeah. So again, I want to I want to make clear that the court didn't reject all of the fair notice defense uh, in any capacity when it comes to crypto. The court re rejected the fair notice defense and vagueness defenses as to the institutional sales, mm -hmm. right? Because it didn't have to reach the question of fair notice with respect to the secondary market sales because they found that not to be an investment contract. But uh, the basically the argument is this. Uh, the court says the case law defines an investment contract provides a person of ordinary intelligence a reasonable opportunity to understand what conduct it covers. Okay. So how he sets forth a clear test for determining what constitutes an investment contract. And this is really important because many people in crypto said that, well, from this case, we're going to get a new test. The court's going to throw out Howie. We're going to get um, the Ripple test. And by the way, Ripple Labs lost on this issue. They were advocating for a new standard uh, that basically supersedes Howie. They were they were advocating for the Ripple test, which is basically there needs to be a contract between the issuer and the purchaser of the token, which of course there wasn't in this case. Ripple was that was rejected, and in this case the court says, well, what we're going to do is we're going to say, was there enough guidance? Was Howie and its progeny did it provide enough guidance to apply the test in a variety of factual situations? Was Howie clear enough in the context of? The institutional sales for people to understand what exactly they could do to not run afoul of the law. And the judge said, yes, Howie was sufficiently clear and, and its progeny was sufficiently clear for folks to understand sufficiently what exactly they would have to do and not do to not run afoul of the law. And it was sufficient to satisfy due process. And at the core, the fair notice defense is a due process defense. It's basically saying it's not constitutional for you to enforce me for violating some sort of regulation or statute unless I can understand it. And the court said, it, it, you, you absolutely could have understood this. It was sufficiently clear to eliminate any risk of arbitrary enforcement. And Howie is the law. Once again, we are going to enforce Howie as written. We're not developing any new tests despite requests from uh, Ripple to to have some sort of new test here. Uh, so, you know, that that's the argument here. But the, just as a caveat, 
the court said that this applies in the context of the institutional sales, right? Those initial sales, the ICO type sales. The court said specifically that it's not reaching any resolution on whether fair notice could apply for secondary market sales or for other transactions. So again, to be determined on that issue, but at least with respect to the institutional sales, court made clear once again, reaffirmed how is the law of the land. Ripple Labs may be under litigation, but Bitcoin will never be under litigation because it is an open, neutral monetary network. And if you want to invest in Bitcoin today, there's no place better than River. River.com has become the Bitcoin exchange of choice for the long-term investor. You guys, we've recently partnered up with River and I could not be happier. Not only do they offer zero fees on recurring purchases, but they also offer a hassle-free mining service if you want to set up Bitcoin mining, but don't want the hassle of setting up all the infrastructure on their own. And you can have peace of mind knowing that all Bitcoin will be stored in River's own proprietary multi-sig setup. 100% full reserves, unlike FTX and all of the other their crypto exchanges that collapsed over the last year. River is a Bitcoin-only exchange, and they take it very seriously. River also has client services that are available by phone, and they are US-based. So if you need a point of contact with River, you can easily get one. They also have estate planning. So if you want to set up uh, your Bitcoin to pass on to your heirs after you are gone, you can do that with River as well. River is setting the new standard in Bitcoin. We couldn't be happier to be working with them. Invest in Bitcoin with confidence at river.com or visit the link in our description to get a special discount when you sign up. You guys know here at TBL, we take self-custody very seriously. And that's why we have partnered for a long time now with Foundation Devices, the makers of the Passport. This is the Bitcoin hardware wallet that you already know how to use. You guys, it's got a gorgeous design, a sleek interface. You've heard me say that sentence several times, and I say it because I mean it. The second you open the box, you'll know exactly how to use it. It looks like a phone, and it acts like a phone too. It has a D-pad, it has a number pad, so you can set up your Bitcoin cold storage with ease. In just a few minutes, you can take your Bitcoin from any Bitcoin exchange, uh, whether it's on-chain or Lightning, and you can transfer it to your wallet and have peace of mind knowing that you just took your Bitcoin out of the hands of any possible custodians and absolved yourself of all counterparty risk. And if you're not up for a hardware wallet, they also offer a free mobile app called Envoy. That's E-N-V-O-Y, which is, again, one of the best-in-class Bitcoin mobile wallets, and it's completely free today. So if you've been on the fence, try Foundation Device's fantastic suite Highly secure Bitcoin storage solutions today at foundationdevices.com or by clicking the link in the description below to get yourself a discount. So the court reaffirmed that the Howey test stands, it's the law of the land, the nonsense Ripple test that's uh, touted out by the, the project lead, the CEO of Ripple Labs and Ripple themselves, um, isn't something that's coming to fruition. The, the four elements of the Howey test stand, those being an investment of money in a common enterprise for a reasonable expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others. And we're just reading that that off of Google. But from from yes. my eyes and just from the understanding of how a lot of these crypto tokens work, the main selling point, like you highlighted earlier, is usually the project and the team and the community and the builders and the people who are working on this thing. And so if that's the case, and that's the reason a lot of people are investing, because one would reasonably, reasonably assume that to be the case, given that it's the most advertised aspect of these tokens, um, then you would expect that that token fits uh, into these uh, into this framework of the Howey test. And for me, at least, it is encouraging that that's being held up by the court um, and sort of these, these arguments where a lot of these projects and CEOs are feigning ignorance and saying, well, we have a new technology. Um, the courts are kind of coming down and saying, well, 
not necessarily it's it's mostly the the same old same old but just with a new coat of paint yeah so so there's a interesting thing here in the in the opinion an interesting section that i'll just read because i think the listeners would benefit from it you may be scratching your head and say i don't understand this how can in one context something be a security and in another context something not be a security and the court um actually brings up an example of gold okay the court says, here, here it is, um, defendants, and this is XRP and Ripple Labs, defendants argue that XRP does not have the, quote, character and commerce of a security and is akin to an ordinary asset like gold, silver, and sugar, okay? The court writes, this argument misses the point because ordinary assets like gold, silver, and sugar may not, may may be sold as investment contracts depending on the circumstances of those sales. And you got to keep in mind the original case about orange groves. I mean, oranges themselves and, and the trees that they grow on, those weren't, you know, anything but regular worldly assets, right? They're, they're, they're commodities effectively. Um, but however, the, the, the right to benefit from those orange groves, that was an investment contract. And the court cites a case saying plenty of items that can be consumed or used have been the subject of transactions de determined to be securities because they had the attributes of an investment. Even if XRP exhibits certain characteristics of a commodity or a currency, it may nonetheless be offered or sold as an investment contract. And then the court cites the Telegram case and says, as another court in this district had recently held, while helpful as a shorthand reference, the security in this case is not simply the token, which is little more than alphanumeric character sequences. The case presents a scheme to be evaluated under Howey that consists of the full set of contracts, expectations, and understanding centered on the sales and distributions of the token. Howey requires an analysis of the entirety of the party's understandings and expectations. So let's apply that. So the court is saying, you know, uh, alphanumeric cryptographic sequences, that those in themselves, if I create Joe coin, hmm. I did not create a security. Right. What what creates the security, what creates an, an implied in law investment contract is what I'm marketing and selling JoeCoin as. Yes. So that's really an important distinction, right? Because this is the first time, to my knowledge, we've got this clear case law where you've got an example of I don't care what the thing itself is. It doesn't matter. What is the overall scheme of the issuer mm -hmm. and what is the overall scheme uh, with respect to who is going to get what? What are the expectations? Why are you buying it? And if you apply it to XRP, clearly the original purchasers, they were, there was a scheme to raise money for Ripple Labs for XRP. Now, when you go to the secondary purchasers, the programmatic sales, the court takes this novel uh, interpretation saying, well, because most of the people buying on an exchange don't know they're actually buying from Ripple. They don't know what Ripple is going to do, if anything, to promote the token. They don't know how uh, they are tied in any way or there are any expectations between the parties because of this blind bid ask, that that isn't enough to say that's not an investment contract. That remains to be seen. I mean, I think that there's a plenty of examples courts can look at um, in other transactions where the major issuers are involved directly in the spot market by selling these tokens on centralized exchanges. Um, and we'll, we'll see if this holds up with this theory. I will say if, if the, the, if again, if the SEC can't touch secondary market transactions, um, then this will lead to massive proliferation of, I think many other, uh, uh, altcoins. And that's, you know, obviously, uh, 
going to cause a lot of problems for people. I think the the scams get worse at that point. Absolutely. And they've already been, they've already been so, uh, so terrible. I mean, they, they were, they are worse at certain points during bull markets, but even still they, you know, by garnering affinity with things that are totally neutral, like Bitcoin, uh, they are, they are allowed to scam people. And so certainly a ruling in the direction in favor of these tokens would lead to the proliferation of more. And, and that would certainly be bad. In regard to this, uh, I, I pulled up the case and I have this quote in front of me, um, the same one that you just read, um, and it brings up a question to me. So obviously those initial 700 uh, billion, 700, 700 million, excuse me, in unlawful profit gained by Ripple Labs uh, from that those initial institutional sales, that is what is under the most fire here in the actual direct fire, right? Those institutional sales um, as a result of, because what they were marketed as, right? And because what they were marketed as sort of the expectation of profit from those entities that purchased them could be considered uh, a securities offering. Um, but the aspect of this quote, little more than alphanumeric cryptographic sequence, right? Tokens such as Bitcoin that are not marketed as a project with a community, you know, here are our, our, our profit projections, price projections, what of these neutral tokens, right? When, and I'll use Bitcoin as an example. It's the only one that comes to mind. It's the only one I think falls in that category that are merely alphanumeric cryptographic sequences, given that in the court document, those are specifically addressed as um, other than these tokens that are marketed um, the, for other reasons. Um, is this sort of the beginning, the the uh, sort of an inkling that can be garnered from this of um, the beginnings of possibly a legal separation between these crypto tokens that are advertised for various reasons versus just you know ones and zeros that are then uh, sold off by miners all over the world like Bitcoin is is this the beginning of a formal legal difference between the two? Um, well, I think there is always been a formal legal difference between the two because of how the the Bitcoin um, how Bitcoin developed originally and how it was originally you know mined and there was no pre mine and no efforts like you know it wasn't how it wasn't so forth the the team behind it was purpose uh, directly gaining from any transaction involving Bitcoin in the early days it was open source software that was developed in an open source way and you can make the argument there was no team uh, that was was controlling uh, Bitcoin in the early days it was maybe a rotating cast of characters that would propose changes and, and revisions. Um, but I think right now what we have here is we have an opinion that seems to draw this distinction between conduct that is direct in its issuance of the tokens and conduct that occurs later on and representations that go uh, occur later on. For example, you know, the, the, the opinion here cites that there was very limited uh, direct contact between the secondary market purchasers and Ripple itself, right? That they that they didn't get promotional materials, they didn't sign contracts, they didn't make promise. I mean, it says right here, the record establishes that with respect to programmatic sales, Ripple did not make any promises or offers because Ripple did not know who was buying the XRP and the purchasers didn't know who was selling it. Um, so that that's really the key thing. Like, if if you focus on, okay, if I can launch a token out there and put it into the marketplace, and then people can take that token and they can resell it. All you really need to be worried about if from a security standpoint, if you're launching an altcoin is the initial sales, the initial distributions, how that occurred. Um, that's the real problematic spot. Um, so for me, like, I think that's that logic is a little bit stretched and a little flawed, given how anecdotally I can tell you many of these tokens, the only way they get liquidity, the only get, the way they get support is if there is someone out there actively campaigning on their behalf. And if you are 
you know, championing people to uh, buy these tokens through intermediaries, that doesn't seem to be uh, yeah. a good rule of law. It, it seems to promote in many ways, uh, more of the deceptive practices. Yeah. A lot of these things don't spread naturally unless there's a huge marketing budget attached to it. And I can yes. tell you the, the one, uh, of course there are Bitcoin companies, but Bitcoin, the asset, um, there is no marketing budget to be doing, um, what we're doing right here. I have this big neon sign. I wasn't paid to put this up. Um, and that's certainly different for a lot of these other tokens. What else within this case stuck out to you? What are the other major aspects of this case that the viewers need to know about um, that are, you know, potentially shift, uh, sort of shift the sands moving forward um, for how the legal battle between the SEC and Ripple is going to unfold? Well, the biggest I've mentioned, I'll just reiterate it, reiterate it again, like the notion that we now have a U.S. case that is saying that a token in and of itself um, is not a is not an investment contract. That's probably the biggest. Um, I do think that that the fair notice defense being rejected with respect to the initial sales, uh, that's another one. Another thing I think that's that's fascinating about this is the court did not need to include this paragraph about secondary market sales that she's not reaching that particular conclusion that that secondary market sales are are, are not necessarily investment contracts or are investment contracts. Um, that is, I think, an interesting uh, sort of um, in, inclusion in the opinion for the simple reason that her logic seems to extend to secondary market sales. So I'm, I'm surprised as to why the court would sort of walk this tightrope between saying, well, because of the blind bid ass nature, I can't say the programmatic sales themselves were in fact uh, investment contracts, but then most transactions on centralized exchanges occur with blind bid asks, right? You don't know who you're purchasing, uh, Cardano from, or, you know, the, the Voyager token from, you don't know who, who's actually selling it. It could be, uh, it could be the company, it could be someone else. Um, so how, how does it not? I mean, if I were critiquing this opinion, if I were a law clerk from the judge, I would ask you, why are you including this particular language when, uh, there does not seem to be an easy way to distinguish between the programmatic sales, which occur in the secondary market, which are not investment contracts, and the secondary market with sales, which you're saying you're making no ruling on, it does not seem to uh, to, to hold a uh, whole lot of uh, uh, it does not seem to uh, be logically consistent. Logically inconsistent, indeed. There certainly seem to be a few of those throughout the case. Uh, and if anything, we may have more questions than answers following this case. But you did an excellent job of breaking it down. And I'll leave the floor to you here for any closing thoughts uh, on the case whatsoever on crypto law in general, and then also uh, where people can find you. Yes. Well, the, I'll start with where, where you can find me. Uh, you can, I'm on Twitter uh, or you can Google at Joe Carlosari and you'll see my firm, um, St. Davis. Uh, I'm happy to work in any litigated dispute you may have in the cryptocurrency, the Bitcoin space. Um, there's quite a few of them these days as, uh, as I'm uh, very busy, but uh, happy to help in any litigated dispute. Um, I will tell you where this goes from here is that you are most certain to have the appeal. And I think when the appeal is um, is filed, it will likely be a cross appeal on both ends, uh, both from Ripple Labs and uh, and from uh, the SEC. There's a question as whether it would be an interlocutory appeal because there's not a final judgment, right? So the question is whether the appeal stays the trial that moves forward. I think it ten, it, the judge will permit that on an interlocutory basis. Um, but it'll take a year um, or more uh, to get through the appellate pro court process on this. So that's going to be interesting. And it's also going to be interesting what impacts this has on the Coinbase suit. Now, again, 
and the Binance suit for that matter about the SEC. So again, the Coinbase and Binance suit have really three parts and I'll just briefly summarize them. The parts are number one, we think the staking activity is an investment contract. You taking people's crypto and then staking it out. Uh, the second part is that you're selling unregistered securities, you're operating in an unregistered exchange. Well, that portion of the of their theory by the SEC against Coinbase, that is significantly undercut by this decision. If it is true that secondary market sales are not uh, sales involving investment contracts, then potentially that theory falls apart in SEC versus Coinbase. So I, I expect fully in the SEC versus Coinbase and SEC versus Binance, they will be citing this opinion, you know, every page they can uh, to show, wait a second, one of one judge at least has said or suggested that because of the nature of how these transactions occur on a, in a blind bid-ask way with an order book and a centralized exchange, we're not operating as a securities exchange. Therefore, your theory that we're an unregistered exchange, unregistered broker-dealer and clearinghouse, that falls apart. That's going to be big, right? I mean, that will be where this is tested, and we'll see if the judge just adopts it. And, and the interesting part about it, too, is that, you know, you've got the Binance case, and you've got the Coinbase case in front of different judges. So what do we do in a circumstance where the Binance case comes down one way uh, with respect to exchange activity and the Coinbase case comes down a different way? Uh, you could end up with, you know, uh, very different uh, results. So that's that's a key part. And then just to wrap up the final part of it, of the, the Coinbase suit, which I think is is an interesting one, um, is this theory uh, that, you know, aside from the staking activity, aside from operating as an unregistered and, and unlawful exchanges, there are individual tokens named and those individual tokens have to sort of be litigated cases within cases in the Coinbase suit. And potentially now you're going to have uh, citations that, listen, all of these other tokens, once they, once the initial raise is done, they're done. Like we have no involvement. None of that secondary sale market is, is in any way impacted. So, you know, if this decision stands, that significantly undercuts that third part of uh, of the Coinbase suit and the Binance suit. So more to be determined. Uh, sorry for the long-winded outro, but, you know, the, the, this is how case law develops, right? It develops very slowly, develops one case at a time. There are people that try to interpret or, you know, anticipate how other courts will rule. But be careful because there are many cases and examples under the law where a, a decision will come down from one court and you'll have a drastically diametrically opposed decision from another court. So we'll see if that happens here. We'll see indeed. And you know, for a fact that we'll be coming to you for all of the information on that. Uh, Joe, thanks. For, thanks again for coming on the show, man. Always dropping knowledge bombs. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on more to come. Oh, Take yeah. care. Take care. A special thanks to River for sponsoring this channel. Guys, you can buy Bitcoin with zero fees when you DCA. You could also set up a hosted miner if you don't want the hassle of setting up a miner on your own. If you're a business that needs lightning infrastructure built out, River has also got you covered. And you can use River for your inheritance planning. And through all of it, you can rest assured knowing that River has their own proprietary multi-sig cold storage setup so your Bitcoin isn't going anywhere. Get started today at river.com or visit the link in the description below to get a discount. And a special thanks to our lovely partners, Foundation Devices. We partner with them because we believe they're the best-in-class Bitcoin cold and hot storage partners. You guys, if you're looking for a simple mobile wallet, download Envoy. You can find the link in the description, get it on Android or iOS, or you can get their Passport mobile wallet. As I mentioned, one of the most sleek wallets in the game right now. You can get it for yourself, get it for one of your loved ones, take your Bitcoin off exchanges and into your own hands, and rest assured knowing that you've absolved yourself 
yourself of all counterparty risk. Get one today at foundationdevices.com or by clicking the link in the video description below for a $10 discount.